Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as the organizer of a protest against Fox Media's decision to keep buying Coconut Lacroix, but in my spare time, <laughs> I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, we have a really special show. I'm joined by six of the organizers of the Google walkouts. These are the protests at several Google campuses that formed after the New York Times reported that the company was promoting and paying off people accused of sexual harassment, but it's so much more than that. Normally, I would tell you the names and titles of my guests, but I have three people here with me in the studio, New York studio, and three on the line from California. So just to keep, for listeners to keep everyone's voices straight, everyone, when they talk, are going to say their names. And But first, we're going to introduce everybody. So let's start here in New York. I'm Claire Stapleton, and I'm a marketing manager at YouTube. I'm Meredith Whitaker. I founded Google's Open Research Group, and I'm the co-founder of the AI Now Institute at NYU. Hey, I'm Erica Anderson. I'm with the Google News Lab and have been at Google for three years. All right. California? Hi, I'm Celie O'Neill Hart, and I work on YouTube marketing. Hi, my name is Stephanie Parker, and I'm a policy specialist on the trust and safety team at YouTube. Hi, I'm Amr. I'm an entry-level engineer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, Amr. It's Amr Gaber. Um, anyway, uh, so th this is going to be a large conversation. So I'm going to start, I think, with you, Claire. Yeah. Um, because you were, you started it off, and you work at YouTube yep. under Susan Wojcicki, yep. who's, the, sure. who's the CEO of YouTube. So why don't you start us off? And each of each, everyone's going to talk about a different part of this. So let's get the background of how this started, and then I want to get into, in each section, talk about what happened, where it's going, yep. and end up talking about what's going to happen next. Sure. Lots to say. Um, so I started at Google 11 years ago, straight out of college. And important to note that my first job was actually doing TGIF with Larry and Sergey. So mm -hmm. sort of like the ultimate Google cultural institution. And consequently, I was a huge believer and am in the culture of openness and transparency. Right. And explain TGIF for people who don't, because it's an unusual TGIF, thing. You know, it's like the the existential crisis around tech and its influence has been mounting forever, but there's like this very folksy, grounding From the kumbaya beginning. moment every week. It's an hour long uh, in Mountain View. Larry and Sergey still do it, if you can believe it. Mm -hmm. And people come, full-time Googlers come and ask questions, and there's sort of this there, it, from my perspective, having worked on this for five years, it really is about holding leadership accountable. And, and it has been. I mean, I've had people argue everything from the, from the kombucha shakes to, like, <laughs> right, The M&Ms, the, yeah. the wastebaskets. I mean, <laughs> right. But the, 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 the questions have gotten increasingly serious, and there is a lot of dialogue, I think, about the ethical direction of the company, which is really interesting. But anyway, lots of simmering anxiety at the company, suffice to say. Um, and the New York Times article about Andy Rubin was a major reckoning moment from for the culture, building upon all this anxiety. Um, the from where I was sitting in New York, I'm in New York now. Uh, in off in the office, in meetings, in the internal threads, the temperature just shot up, uh, and people weren't just outraged; they were sharing their experience and their stories, which is incredibly eye-opening for me as someone who's been around forever. And it's it's sexism and bro culture, it's racism, opportunity discrimination. Mm -hmm throughout your career at Google and elsewhere, it's so big, it's so huge, and it goes on and on and on. And I think that was really interesting for us, and we've talked about this a lot, is that the article was ostensibly, you know, kind of a bombshell about some sordid, but you know, executive But this has been product. reported. A lot of it had already, it was collectively. Totally. Because I, I wrote about Amit. Right. And, I, and, we, and we've also heard all these, We know all this. I think mm -hmm. that it, it, what it gestured to and what it harnessed was so much more. And the sort of sense that there's just really bad things happening under the cover of darkness at Google and elsewhere. Um, so that was really interesting for me. And I was really following it closely and just hearing all these women I knew in the office telling their stories. I'm like, mm -hmm. I had no idea you were forced into arbitration. And, you know, I had no idea you had you you weathered um, opportunity discrimination on the level that you did. But the real turning point for me was the way that the execs handled it that day um, at the TGIF that followed. The Googlers, as always, showed up. I mean, they had really smart thoughts. They brought their outrage, but it was also you know constructive ideas and questions. And it was so dismissed. I mean, I think that the, it was a very awkward, hollow, somewhat disastrous TGIF, which you know has, has been much reported, but. It, we needed to see accountability and commitment and 
neither happened. And mm-hmm. I think it's it's actually really followed that way since then. So for me, it was basically like, look, the Google culture that I believe in, that I have, you know, been talking about forever and thinking about deeply, you know, this place is structured for voices. But it's not going to fix this. I mean, we've we've got to, to try something else. So, right. And you also, um, just to be clear, you also have, Google has more board, message boards, more places to communicate. Right. They yeah. won't shut up in a lot of ways. There's a Literally, lot going yeah. on in all the these The dialogue things. is so constant and so fierce. I mean, I, you know, pity the, per, the, you know, the corporate talking points person who said into these threads, you know, the, the approved messaging because people are so unbelievably engaged, committed, intelligent. I mean, it's fierce. And, and we think that, you know, that's what happened with the walkout. So, as well. th- so this was the TGIF right after the article, the day of, not, yeah. not the day of, that they didn't, what in the response, and then we're going to go to uh, Meredith to talk about yep. the ethical implications yes. on this. What was the res- what was the problem with the response? Because I think they had a similar thing recently too, when the demands came out. But we'll get to that yeah. in a minute. Oh, that's there's so much to say about that. I mean, right. I, I think that the it, there was a decision first of all to carry on with the regular presentation, which was the I think it was the Google Photos team. So you're sort of putting, oh, let's <laughs> talk about photos. The optics <laughs> were were really tough because, like I said, I mean it, the. The community was gripped by this, and I think that it, it it was the sort of moment where we needed to hear that the system needs to change, and you know, we, you know, we need to to see a, a genuine commitment to that. And I think it was, um, you know, there was there was a kind of dismissiveness to it. There was a sort of, you know, we care, we're going to follow up on this. It did not at all match the urgency and intensity of what happened. And I think that we knew we needed to switch it up, try something else, exert power, and you know, come together in a way. Um, you know, that would be more disruptive and that they would have to listen to because lining up to ask questions at TJF in this case uh, wasn't was not enough. Okay. Meredith, why don't you talk about the ethical implications around what was going on? Well, I mean, to back this up— This is Meredith Whitaker. Go ahead. Um, hello. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess to back up a little bit, you know, this is sort of what my research has focused on for a while. So I've been looking at issues of, you know, race, power, gender, and artificial intelligence, and some of the issues around tech culture. Mm-hmm. And over the past year, I think what we've seen and what you've documented, Cara, mm-hmm. really well is this sort of like heightened divide, increasing divide between the sort of rhetoric of tech as, you know, tech products, like they're good for people, it's all going to net positive in the end, just bear with the disruption, and the rhetoric about the tech culture, like it's the best place to work, it's, you know, you're lucky if you're here, you know, shut up and bear it. Um, And, you know, really seeing this sort of, you know, the fact that those promises are increasingly threadbare on both counts. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I have been involved with people like Amar and others in sort of leading some of the work against Maven, against this sort of— This sec- is the defense. Explain that for yeah. people. Yeah, so this was a, you know, more or less secretive contract with the DOD that was essentially leveraging Google's artificial intelligence capabilities to build surveillance for— drones. Mm-hmm. And this was done in a way that did not have sort of the buy-in of, you know, let's say the broader Google community. Um, it was done in a way that was not explicit, even to some of the people who were working on it. Um, and it was done in a way that I think really exploded some of the comfortable mythologies around mm-hmm. tech as sort of, you know, a beneficent force in the world. Or benign. Benign, yeah. Mm-hmm. Either either one, yeah. Um, and I think this was, you know, this was a moment where the contradictions inherent in this culture, the sort of, you know, like you know, late stage capitalism <laughs> versus, you know, this idealistic, you know, utopian engineering rhetoric sure. were in stark relief. And I think what we're seeing here is sort of the personal and the political meet, meeting. And it was interesting. And it was one of the things that's about this is not just about sexual harassment, which has yeah. to be beyond it. There's issues around who you want to work for. There's the James Damore thing that happened. Mm-hmm. There there was the China stuff. Um, so in terms of the ethical considerations, all these things are sort of hurtling toward these companies that they are very willing participants in the yeah. end causes of it. And I think Part of what we've seen is that, you know, while we do have this proliferation of means to get our voices heard, we don't have many ways to hold anyone in power accountable. Or anything happening. And we happening. don't have the means to actually create that change without this type of collective Right, so action. they'll let you speak up but yeah. not say, not do much yeah. in that and, regard. And there are many of us within the company who've been pushing 
for changes for a long time through the established mechanisms, right? We've seen OKRs, we've seen working groups, we've seen meagerly funded diversity efforts, we've seen ethical councils and self-regulatory promises, none of which have netted in any change. And, you know, we're, we continue toward the iceberg with increasing stakes both within the company for the people who work there and, I would argue, societally for the people who have to bear the brunt of the, you know... The inventions you're the, making. Exactly. Right. Okay, Celie, can you sort of set the stage of the letter that went out that was sent by Claire um, and and the demands, how you all formulated demands. Sure, absolutely. I, I mean, it was a really collective effort from the beginning, um, buoyed by or, or really inspired by the stories uh, that were coming from the community. So, for example, um, Claire actually had heard from a group of mothers at Google just these endless stories, this, this thread of stories that was going around in an internal email chain and was inspired from those stories to send an email out to a large group of women um, on a Google group and essentially say, hey, I feel like we have to do something. Um, and that started it all. And immediately people were suggesting demands. So I took note and, and started gathering those into a doc. And it was just completely a process of defining what we wanted in solidarity with each other. Um, I think it showed me the power of collective action, um, writing the demands quite literally as a collective. Hundreds of Googlers were, were weighing in on email threads in the actual doc. I mean, I have a memory of being on the phone with Amr debating demand number one and watching as 27 Googlers in a doc were editing in, in the Google doc um, and then watching Meredith, you know, sort of come in and say, oh, well, we already have that one here. Can we reduce from 10 demands to five? I mean, it was just this truly collective action, um, living, moving in, in a Google document that we and were using all Google watching and technology. In. Using Google Internal, technology. Yeah. Thanks, Google. The means <laughs> Thanks. of production. Isn't that a commercial? Thanks, Google. <laughs> right. It was Google very efficient. <laughs> It is important to call out the, the demands. While we may have facilitated gathering them, they weren't new. I think it's, we would all say that they represented asks that many groups at Google had been making toward equity for years. So we might have facilitated and, you know, brought together that collective in a, in a document, but we were putting them in one place. All right, Amr, why don't you go through with us what, the, what those demands were what, and why they came down to the ones you all decided on? Sure. So the first demand is an end to forced arbitration in cases of sexual harassment and discrimination, and also the right for a, co for a Google worker to bring a coworker or other supporter into an HR investigation, because that can be a very daunting process. Mm -hmm. uh, the second demand is a commitment to end pay and opportunity inequity. Um, and this is for all levels of the organization, um, not just full-time employees, but uh, contract workers as well, and even subcontract workers, uh, because we know that leads to a lot of the power imbalance that leads to these abuses. Also, a, the third one is a publicly disclosed sexual harassment transparency report. After the article came out, there was all these numbers that uh, the leadership team was throwing around about cases where they took action, but all of that was completely brand new to us, even though... For us, there's thousands of these stories going around, but the company keeps them hidden as much as possible. Yeah. The fourth one is a clear, uh, uniform, and globally inclusive process for reporting sexual misconduct uh, safely and anonymously, because obviously the process today is not really working that well. I mean, at what number does the failures of the claims become just an accommodation of the process. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last demand is uh, promoting the chief diversity officer to answer directly to the CEO and the board. And in addition, appointing an employee representative to the board to be able to make re recommendations. Right, which is an important thing. We'll get to what happened after this. But first, Stephanie, one of the things that's in that is contractors, too. Um, the concept mm -hmm. that, that people don't realize how many contractors there are at Google. And these are people without rights, essentially. Uh, and and there is a, there's sort of an elite group above that who are much better paid. Can you talk a little bit about them, too? Because they have been left out of the system for a long time, it seems like, at Google. Yes. Um, so just to set the tone here, um, when there was the shooting at the YouTube headquarters right. in San Bruno, San San Bruno earlier this year, um, contract workers like cafeteria workers, security guards, um, and those that sit next to us every day doing all kinds of jobs in all departments, they were out there um, in the line of fire. They had their safety in danger. 
And the day after the shooting, when Susan called a town hall for all employees to hear updates and to support each other, uh, TVCs or contract workers were excluded from that. Yeah. Even though they were just as much in danger, if not even more, uh, because during during the time that the shooting was happening, security updates were sent via text to full-time employees and not to contractors. So well, they, Explain what contractors um, are so people understand, people who don't know. Sure. These are not just cafeterias. This is all levels of Google everywhere. Exactly. We have contract workers at Google. They're called temps, vendors, contractors, TVCs. We have them in all organizations at Google. They're doing, uh, they're managing marketing projects. I have a friend who's a contractor who is a compliance manager and helps to set payroll for other Google employees. We have contractors that manage teams of upwards of 10, 20, even more other people but continue to be uh, just perennially left in this second-class state where they don't have health care benefits. They don't have, for the most part, what I hear is they don't have paid sick leave. Um, and they definitely don't get access to the same uh, well-being resources, counseling, professional development, any of that. And what we're seeing is that Google is deciding to lean in to changing more of their roles, more of the positions to be contract, right. changing them. It's cheaper. It's, that, that's it's what easier it comes and cheaper. Down to. Right. It's you in know, this when, gig when economy. We, when we confront them about this, when we ask, why, why is it this way that we have people who sit right next to us doing the same work but are not compensated fairly or even treated with respect, we hear that, well, there's uh, legal distinctions. If we treated them like full-timers, then maybe we would have to compensate them like full-timers. Right. That's exactly and to why. me, and I think all of us, the solution is to convert them to full-time or to <laughs> treat them fairly right. with respect, not to throw up our hands or and say, Or well, figure somehow our... figure out new ways of having contractors that have sure. rights. You know what I mean? I think the whole idea, I've had this actually discussion, a very lively one with Gavin Newsom, who's now the governor of California. I think there's going to be legislation on this because he's like, mm -hmm. we, we have these two bifurcated systems there's got to be a new way of thinking about employees. But in this case, in this particular case, these rights, these, these people are under more risk because they work for other vendors that Google does not have control over. And it was interesting because I had a discussion with one of your bosses and I said, they're, they're like, well, we don't have control over them. I'm like, aren't you Google? Aren't you the smartest people in the world? Didn't mm -hmm. you put Quonset huts in your things for new offices? That was an, <laughs> kind of an interesting idea. Can't you do something special here kind of thing? Which they can't, apparently. Well, I think that it's actually worth mentioning that other companies have moved Let me further. introduce you. This is Erica Anderson. Yes. So go ahead, okay. Erica. Well, I mean, in doing research and preparing these demands and just knowing, I think, what we know, I mean, Harvard is an example of an organization that has given, I think they created a parity policy for all their contractors. They get the same benefits, the same healthcare benefits. Um, Rent the Runway, I think in May of this year, came out as CEO and she said, I don't want to have different classes of workers. I'm going to pay the people in the warehouse in Ohio the same benefits that our full-time employees get. So this is also a situation that's been so interesting for Google because actually Google doesn't lead in this space. And I think that's what makes the whole thing kind of interesting to me is that um, we talk about wanting to be the best workplace in the world, the most competitive um, and, you know, offer the best benefits. But I think what we've seen here is that, you know, it's just not a place where, where Google is leading. And we wanted to bring that, um, you know, <laughs> to the attention of everyone. Right. Which they would prefer you not to. <laughs> All right. So w when we get back, we're going to talk about where what happened after you made these demands. And just Claire, just set us up for this. You sent this letter out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> they had this crappy TGIF. Yes, that was Thursday. Friday, I uh, set up a Google group and sent it around to some women at the company, and it you know, clearly struck a chord. A couple hundred women and men, immediately we took women out of the you know, mm -hmm. name of the, the, out of the branding, because there were so many allies. It was really, there were so many issues people were bringing to the table about inequity. And Monday, there were a thousand people in the group, and um, we said, F it. Let's do it Thursday. Okay, <laughs> then. All right. On F it, we're going to get back. When we come back, we're going to talk about more of what happened after we F'd it. Um, we're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back in a minute with the organizers of the Google Walkouts. That is Eric Anderson, Claire Stapleton, Meredith Whitaker, Stephanie Parker, Celie O'Neill Hart, and Amr Gaber. We'll be back with more soon. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. 
That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Hey, it's Tom Warren, senior editor at The Verge here. Microsoft is in an era-defining moment. It's betting on AI as the future of work, its Xbox business is going through transformational changes, and the Mac versus PC war is about to be back on. So I'm launching a newsletter called Notepad. It'll be your inside guide to all those changes and beyond. From details on the next Xbox to that one time every Microsoft employee named Michael appeared on a mysterious email list. Whatever is happening at Microsoft, you'll be able to read about it first in Notepad every Thursday. Go subscribe now at theverge.com Okay, we're here talking in an unusual uh, Rico decode. I really want to do this. I've never had this many people in one place um, uh, talking about something, but I thought it was really important to have all the different perspectives and, and what's going on here. These are the people who, or some of the people, because there's many more, I think, that organize uh, the Google walkouts and the, the thinking behind it, because it's very hard to collectively do something together, because what happens is instantly disagreements happen between people. Also, the company is operating from a single source, and you all have to sort of join together, which is what they try to do, which is break you apart, like in some way. And so I want to talk a little bit about what happened next. Um, Silly, why don't we start with you? So you, you, you guys came up with these demands, right? And then what? And then you, you get, like what Claire was saying just a second ago, you said, fuck it, we're going to have a, a, a protest to start with. Are you laughing? <laughs> yeah, there, absolutely. I, I am laughing. Um, it, I will admit that it leaked and that was a bit of the effort uh, experience for many of us. There was quite a debate, you know, again, hundreds of voices on when yeah. it should be. Um, and then when it was announced uh, somehow that it was going to happen Thursday, we really felt that the momentum was suddenly there and we needed to pull it together. So we rallied. Um, I remember sending an email to the group called It's Happening um, and it just listed the initial resources and Amr responded to that note and said, here are some different ways that you can actually take action on that day and take the full day off versus walk out for an hour, whatever you're comfortable with. And planning was a really important part of that because we had TVCs, contract workers, walking out alongside their full-time colleagues and figuring out what was right for you on that day was, was a huge part of the planning process as well. So Amr, why would you think walking out was the thing to do? Like you, since you're saying, here's the different things you could do. What was the concept behind it? For a visual of Google people just saying, we're walking out. Well, it, the walkout wasn't actually my idea. Um, that was uh, more the idea from Claire and the, the mom's group. Um, but when I heard walkout, I was like, okay, well, this is something that I'm a little bit familiar with. And I know that we're kind of in a, a new moment uh, in tech and I think just in general. Uh, so I thought this would be one, a powerful action, but two, also a learning, a great learning experience for a lot of tech workers uh, and just a lot of people in general about how this stuff kind of works and how we can um, exercise the power that we who, have. Who are relatively docile, I have to say, tech work. I find that, you know, you, you, you guys get you, all the snacks yeah. and all your special things. They're docile and they don't get, you know, they don't protest. It's not, a, it, and they're well, many of them are very well paid or most of them are very well paid or compared I'm, I mean, this was extraordinary, this right? We, we had we had one uh, key organizer who does operations at the company, and and um, she's a program manager, and she set up an extraordinary amount of spreadsheets. We had she set up a website um, that was internal, and I remember looking at it um, maybe Tuesday, and there were two cities listed. And then as word got out, more and more cities were listed, and the website continued to get updated until we had over thirty cities around the world listed. And every city had a field organizer, like a lead, a person that was then in touch with us getting information, support, ideas on how to safely um, do this walkout, you know, how to, um, you know, what to talk about once the walkout happens. And yeah, it really was just this extraordinary effort. I think we all kind of joked after the walkout, like none of us really knew each other before. Right. <laughs> um, so talk about like getting to know each other very quickly, learning to trust each other's instincts, having really honest debates about um, how to, you know, work through different challenges. And I think it was extraordinary because we all really fundamentally just believed in what we were doing. So we really carried each other. And 
you know, obviously every office around the world um, carried each other too. All right, Stephanie, can you talk about that concept of, of like a collective, being collective as a group of people? Yes, of course. I think Erica stated it beautifully when she said that all of us coming together and putting our hearts together, putting our skills and our heads together to work on this was a really, uh, you know, great, beautiful, what about amazing fears? experience. What about fears? Um, and I, yeah, what I was going to add was that you mentioned that the tech workers have largely been docile and mm-hmm. don't like to protest that much. I would say that a lot of tech workers are afraid, mm-hmm. that a lot feel isolated. They feel hopeless. I speak for myself when I say that I spent the past four years at Google thinking that you know, we're we're telling the company what we care about. We're giving our feedback about what's wrong through all of the official channels. We're filling out the surveys every year. We are talking back in TGIF and asking these questions and nothing is happening. But once we begin to find each other and see each other all speaking out and all saying fundamentally the same thing, then the fear starts to go away. Once we start taking collective action, then we're we can't be stopped. Well, I do think I the think tools keep you apart, too, don't they? Like, if you have an ability to, you know, it's Twitter, what is it, hashtagivism? If you go, oh, I'm against that guy who killed the journalist in Saudi Arabia, that's enough. Like, it's the concept of that. That's sort sure, of. Sure, yeah. I, I think we're definitely encouraged by the powers that be to funnel our anger and our energy into places that, uh, that it will not grow into anything actually powerful. Uh, we have to figure it out on our on our own with each other, how to actually build power and and hold well, the powerful well, account. Talk about this, Meredith, because you were just talking about the idea that nothing ever happens, like nothing. And, and, and in terms of the AI, like you're working on AI stuff, is that they talk about it and then 97% of people who make AI are white guys. Yeah. Yep. So what? Um, I mean, I think what we've seen this year, but sort of in, you know, we had a, hit a step function maybe a couple years ago, is that the stakes of this technology have just increased exponentially, mm-hmm. right? We are Explain shaping. that. Explain why for people who don't want I mean, tech. I will, I will g- g- try to Twitter summarize this. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, we've seen the consolidation of the tech industry into a handful of big players who have incredibly powerful infrastructures, who have, you know, more or less, you know, they are the only ones who are able to collect the kind of data they have, draw the kinds of insights they can draw from it. Um, and they are creating sort of technologies, you know, AI-based technologies, to use that term kind of colloquially, that are now being deployed throughout our core social institutions. They are shaping our politics. They are shaping decision-making. And the benefits of those are accruing to a very small few. And that's what we're seeing. I think we're seeing, you know, we have seen a number of instances where the narrative of tech has sort of ruptured and been shown to be, you know, not correct this year. And I think there are a lot of people in tech who are ready to take action. Like Mm -hmm. what I think we saw is some catalytic moments after a year of, you know, speaking your mind, of trying to sort of forward these, you know, complaints, seeing nothing happen and saying, hey, I don't want my name on this. Right. Right. I don't want to be involved in this. You know, I don't want to be part of a culture that does this. And I don't want to build things that do that. And, you know, it's time for leadership. Right. In a lot of ways. The employees are the base. I mean, you know, Trump always talks about their base. I mean, employees are the base for these people, and they can't mess around with them quite as because they they it's harder to hire people, right? This is this is a this is a very yeah, yeah. competitive talent environment. Yeah, and I think I mean, well, that, why, why do you think they're hiring so many contractors? That's right, mm-hmm. exactly. That's exactly. They're keeping in positions <laughs> of lack of power. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right. It's like yeah. It's like textbook. You know, it's as if it's coal mines back in the 18-whatever. I mean, I, I know why they're doing it. It's just, it's just, they're just a nicer version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is. Um, so, Erica, talk about this. So, when you make these demands, you put them up, and you do the walkout. What do you expect will happen next? Wow. Well, so much happened when we did the walkout. I mean, it was, first of all, just— Got extra- coverage across the world. Extraordinary. Yeah, it started in uh, Asia with Singapore and Tokyo walking out. It was a rolling thunder around the world at 11 a.m. Did we um, call it rolling thunder? No, but <laughs> now maybe <laughs> I do. I mean, rolling thunder! It was, it, was truly, it was truly extraordinary. By the time we woke up in New York City, there was already a, a massive press cycle around it, of course. We had we actually set up a email alias um, for all press to reach out to us because we knew we wouldn't be able to handle the scope of what was coming in. So we um, yeah, we, we basically like took the day. We all, um, you know, did the walkouts and um, we did some press, um, you know, very selectively, but we did talk to some places. Um, 
And then we waited. Like, we, we didn't necessarily just wait, but we knew, okay, well, now the court, the ball is in the executive's court. So what are they going to do? And it took them exactly a week uh, to come back. I think it was Wednesday, so six days after the walkout, um, we received an email that there would be a town hall. And we knew um, that that would be kind of the answer. And yeah, the I got that email too. You did. <laughs> um, it leaked. They said so, it leaked. What a surprise. There's millions of you. Come on. Yeah. You're not as leaky as Yahoo and Facebook, but yeah. you're right up there. So yeah. don't worry about it. Yeah. So we, I mean, I think we were all like excited. And, you know, by the way, we had all been like talking every night, having meetings. Like we just were continuing to do work. Well, how do we catalyze, you know, the group that's now in place, you know, the, hun- the thousands of employees? So, um, yeah, we all showed up up to our respective offices to listen to the response to the demands. So, Meredith, what did you think was going to happen? And I want each, I want Celie to respond to that. I wasn't sure because I knew this sort of rattled them, but frankly, what I'd seen in the past is, you know, not much of a response, right? Applying the same old tools to a very new situation, even though those tools have been proven ineffectual. What I saw was them doing the minimum viable to try to tamp down the situation, both claiming credit for it um, you know, this is a great walkout and this has been such a wake-up call and we're, you know, you know, so happy to be kind of now leading the industry in this, which is a, you know, I think Ruth said that recently. And also trying to minimize the concerns and, you know, frankly, erasing a number of the core issues around racism, discrimination, and the abuse of power while highlighting kind of, you know, one type one of thing behavior, that they created. What, what about harassment. you, Claire? What did you think? I want each of you to respond. You know, I, there were a couple of executives that when they spoke to their team, I thought, you get it. And mm-hmm. I, I really hoped that that would shine through. I thought we'd see some leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, the town hall was really tough to watch. I no, think. No, no, no. Well, let's get to the demands. I want to say, oh, what did demand. you expect from them? Did you expect them to just try to roll you? I thought they would do it. Maybe I'm an optimist. Everyone keeps saying I'm like the executive apologist here. Um, <laughs> I, I thought they were reasonable. I mean, we were right. kicking around, you know, donate $90 million to— That was my idea. I yeah, thought they to, should. Yeah. Right. To, $90 million um, the was the amount. Explain. $90 million is the amount that uh, Google paid Andy Rubin as part of his exit package. Uh, and this is someone who had a long history of sort of sordid misconduct, as I said. And, you know— there, you know, the more radical among us were calling for the the ouster of you know people at the top, and we kept it to systemic change. All of these things are interconnected: uh, sexism, racism, you know, discrimination writ large. The experience of contractors at this company. We very specifically wanted the demands to reflect the system, and wanting to see steps toward. This isn't the tablet of Moses, but we want, we wanted to see steps towards change in all of these categories. They gestured to the demands as they responded. They did not ever address, acknowledge the the list of demands, um, nor did they adequately provide solutions to mm-hmm. uh, all the five. They did drop forced arbitration, but for sexual harassment only, not discrimination, which was a, a sort of key omission. Nothing was um, addressed regarding uh, TBCs, though people did ask about that in the town hall. And then there was a sort of packaging of other work streams that have been going on in um, in HR around pay inequality, et cetera, and saying, you know, this is what we're going to do. And they also offered a new sexual harassment training that we did not ask for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and then and then have it on their performance review if you didn't do it. Although it doesn't matter for the top executives if they did or mm-hmm. get a ding or not. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I think we, you know, we didn't see accountability in action. All right. So, Celie, what did you think of the response? I want each of you to sort of respond to the response. Yeah, I, I had a, a process as the response was coming in by which I kind of checked the response, which which was actually the stories from the women mm-hmm. in the Mountain View rally. So I sort of watched this line form behind me at in Mountain View of women who were willing to just get up on stage and tell their stories of where the process had failed them. And so I had, you know, two or three stories. Uh, one of them was this incredible story from a woman who was drugged at a work party. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just, every time I heard a response, I sort of checked, like, how would her experience have been different? Right. How would her experience of HR changed with this response to the demands? And I just cannot come up with how the process would not fail these women who stood up on stage in Mountain View and risked their jobs in front of 5,000 of their colleagues. I, I can't come up with how the process has changed to lift up those voices in a way that's different or more supportive than it was before. Um, 
Um, so that to me is like the ultimate check of where will these stories change. Right, know? exactly. Yeah, and where would it? Where would you get the disclosure and stuff, the transparency um, and things like that? What about you, Stephanie? How did you think about it? The response to your demands? Yes, yeah, so I would say that I was not as optimistic as Claire or maybe others <laughs> in the it. group. They're super yeah. nice. They all have Teslas. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh, that they all they all care so deeply mm-hmm. about these issues. You know, so I Sunder said he was surprised. oozing empathy, which we thought was great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but what I was disappointed by was that they did they did not even acknowledge that the the HR processes and systems are not working. They heard loud and clear from 20,000 of us that these processes and reporting lines that are in place are set up the wrong way and need to be redesigned so that we normal employees have more of a say and more of a look into the decision-making processes. And they didn't even acknowledge that as as a valid sentiment or idea. They said, oh, you know, we're going to do a survey to see how people feel about HR. We just told you. Yeah, right. So they just they got really, a survey. Like, took the conversation back two steps. Which right. was, it's pretty insulting. Well, they were actually <laughs> undercutting your authority, just so you know. Just mm, FYI. Yeah. I, I, I specialize <laughs> in power politics, and I can tell you that's just what they were doing. Um, what about you, Amr? What did you think about that? What was your reaction? Uh, my immediate reaction was that they completely whitewashed their response. Like, they avoided talking about race in any way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. um, saying they're just going to recommit to OKRs. Right. Like you've been committed to those Explain OKRs what an OKR is. Explain what that is it's for a, regular a, people. It's an objective and key re- result. It's like a goal, main goal for the for the company as a mm-hmm. whole. And you've been committed to those OKRs for years and nothing has changed. And then on top of that, they excluded contractors from being allowed in the meeting or to hear these things. And they wouldn't remove arbitration for discrimination, basically saying, yeah, we're going to keep discriminating, like deal with it. And I just want to say like the other thing is that they still keep looking for ways to kind of like you were saying, kind of divide and conquer us. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I said in the beginning, I'm an entry level engineer and I've got five years of industry experience before I got hired at Google. Um, and even though these issues impact some groups more than others, they affect all of us. Just because the name of the company is a baby word doesn't mean that it's not greedy or exploitative. Mm-hmm. And the company doesn't care what race, gender, sexual orientation, age, ability, national origin, religious belief, history of military service, or job type you have, as long as you'll accept less than you're worth. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you really think, Amr? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I agree with you. I mean, it's really, it's very interesting. The divi- Talk about the divide and conquer, how, how that impacts things. Is because they want you all not to be collectively talking, which is very hard because it's a very diverse culture with different opinions. And and one of the dings on Google is everyone has the same opinion, but they don't necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of big ways and small ways. Like in, in some big ways is like, for example, some contractors recently in, in some offices got moved to completely different offices. So now we can't even interact on mm-hmm. a daily basis. Um, the divide between full-time employees and contract workers is a big one. The divide, the like racial, the systemic racism actually in hiring and promotion for certain job ladders like engineering versus other job ladders versus contract work is also another big one. Um, and then there's a lot of small things like they took away contractors' uh, abilities to read those chat rooms, uh, to be involved in those kinds of chats just recently. Um, and they, they do things like, oh, we're going to have a, a holiday party, but none of the contractors can be involved. Right, uh, right. They, they can't be invited. It, it's just full time. Yeah. So, so Erica, what was your response finally? And then we're going to talk about what you guys are going to do next. Yeah. I mean, I naively, like Claire, was really excited. I thought they were going to, you know, make the change. I was like, wow, they're coming together. They're putting, you know, a meeting together. They're all getting up on stage and um, was pretty disheartened. I mean, I had a pretty big eye-opening uh, personal experience about how, you know, the, the response to the demands were whitewashed. And yeah, just really, really disappointing because ultimately I think, any like it's such an opportunity for leadership mm-hmm. just to say you know we need to do better for someone to break away in the executive rank and to say this is you know we are so creative we are so innovative we can figure out a legal solution to this we can figure out a way um, to bring people along with google success to make it more diverse and more equitable and so it's really disappointing and i just think um in the days after i'm just sitting here thinking like 
who's going to, where's the leadership? Like if I actually, I know Facebook's in their own challenges right now, but if I was at a competing company that was trying to retain Google talent. Yeah, they won't be going to Facebook. Yeah, yeah. I would just, <laughs> I, them as, <laughs> I would just, I would just address all the demands. Right. Like any other tech company should just address this because, you know, there is so much inequity and it's so difficult for, like someone said earlier, I think maybe it was Seeley, like these demands were really a consolidation of a lot of things other groups have asked, like the Black Googler Network. They've been on the forefront of this, asking for transparency around pay equity because they have a hunch, maybe we have a hunch that pay equity, it's, it's just... Now, the, Google says they do release this data. That well, they, I, yeah, I know. Listen, I know. Like, I think actually it's important to define pay. And I just want to stay, say that pay is a base. It's also bonus and it's also equity. And mm-hmm. you know, actually in Laszlo Bach's book, you know, the f- kind of architect of Google's HR system, I was, I was spinning through it the other day and, and there's a mm-hmm. whole chapter called Pay Unfairly, why it's okay to pay the same person differently. And, you know, this is in the early days of Google, but it's worth kind of looking back at. The system was set up to, reward people who had high impact, which is probably technical people, and literally talks about paying people 300 to 500% more equity based on their perceived impact. And I just, you know, if we have nothing to hide, let's let's share that data. Let's actually look at how that breaks down across gender and race. Yeah. And you also recall when Erica Baker did it, she got into trouble. Mm-hmm. Erica Baker put mm-hmm. out the salary. Mm-hmm. She did a group thing. And just got, saw that spreadsheet the other day. I love it. Yeah, yeah. It's an amazing spreadsheet. Well, I also like, we don't talk about it. Like in my department, like we're really not, we're discouraged to talk about leveling what we make. And I remember when I was at Twitter, like I asked a guy, hey, what what's the range that you make? And he told me and it was way more than what I made. And I was like, <laughs> what the heck were the same. So I had to go to HR, but they kind of like discourage you from talking about this stuff, mm-hmm. which there's right. power in talking about it right. um, and finding out so that we can, you know, I want to see at the decision-making table. Right. And, and that's then, why they discourage us from talking about it. Right. Laszlo famously said on stage. This is Laszlo that, Bach, you know, who is the head of <laughs> right, HR before. Now it's Eileen Naughton. Go ahead. Yes, exactly. Laszlo famously said that, you know, if we if we all talked about our pay and if we released that data, imagine how it would make people feel to learn that they are making <laughs> badly. The they might even rise up. Well, they might rise up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They might even get mad and demand more. Right. Uh, so, Meredith, why don't you finish on what uh, the meeting that happened and then we'll get to what you guys are going to do next. I mean, I think the frankly, meeting, the, the second meeting after the demands. I heard it. I mean, the, I, I, the, you may not Yield be able Town to talk Hall. about it, Yield Town Hall, um, but I understand it was quite disturbing. And one executive, I think it was Urs, got yeah. up and felt like a victim, which yeah. sounds like Urs to me. And, you know, Sundar wasn't as present. There's some others. Uh, ben was okay. Like different people said, but it was sort of a, how did you feel lackluster. after that? Lackluster. I think it was like, we feel for you, but. Mm. It was joyless. Um, mm-hmm. And it was. <laughs> Um, And it was, you know, what there wasn't was leadership. Mm -hmm. What there wasn't was an understanding that accountability was necessary. I'm sorry, would Larry and Sergey there? No, no. No one who would possibly be problematic Mm -hmm. uh, was there that I know of. Problematic, Um, what do you mean? Named in the Andy story. Um, Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Sergey had um, issues. We reported on those issues, yeah. And, you know, there were other people up there. David Drummond. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, it wasn't, it was, they were pulling from a toolbox that no longer works, right? Mm -hmm. There was excuses for their own sort of, you know, they were making excuses that centered themselves as almost victims. Um, There was defending a system that, you know, is resoundingly broken, that you don't have 20,000 people in the streets, you know, planned in three days if there isn't something deeply structurally wrong. Mm -hmm. And there didn't seem to be an acknowledgement of the gravity of the issue they're facing here and the gravity that this industry is facing and, you know, sort of the issues that have now fallen at their doorstep, right? Right, it, right. We did not see leadership there. Right. Um, it's really interesting because when I got on the phone with a lot of them, they were like, you know, Kara, it's really hard. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. And they were like, it's hard. I'm like, aren't you the smartest people on the planet? I thought you tell me that every week. I'd love it. to understand what's so hard about I, meeting You know what I mean? I think it is. It's, yeah. it, they're it's all a rich. They, well, they, 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 they could do it and it's still hard, rich. but... They're they're making conscious decisions here. They often come back to us and say, we need more data. We need to really understand the problem. Mm-hmm. But they have more data than all of us and are making conscious decisions every day that impact and destroy the lives of people that work for this company. Um, a, a highlight for me, leading the walkout at San this Bruno is Stephanie, headquarters by the way, was... Hi, this is Stephanie. Um, I... You know, I I read the scripted speech and then I threw the paper away and I just spoke what was on my mind. I asked the crowd, where do you think Google got that 90 million dollars they used to pay out Andy Rubin? 
They got it from every time you worked late, every promotion you didn't get because they said there's not enough budget. You have to wait. It's from every contractor who came to work sick because they have no paid time off. Mm -hmm. These are conscious decisions that the company is making and abusers are getting rich off of our hard work. It's yeah. just not fair yeah. and they completely know what they're doing. All right, before we get to this, yes. how do you go ahead, Amar, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to add, like, in three days, we organized a walkout of 20,000 people across the entire planet. And in three days, they came up with a nifty slide deck and a policy that matches Uber's, you know, the paragon of uh, how we should deal with sexual harassment in the All right. Then. Okay. On that note, okay, we're going to take a very short break. And we're going to go long, I think, here. We'll be back because it's my podcast and I do whatever the fuck I want. We'll be back after this with the organizers of the Google walkouts. That includes Eric. Anderson, Claire Stapleton, Meredith Walker, Stephanie Parker, Celie O'Neill Hart, and Amr Gaber. Okay, we're back now with the organizers of the Google Walkouts. We've gotten really feisty, which is fantastic as far as I'm concerned. But talk about one of the things that people do when they look at you, say, oh, you're all a bunch of Google people, you're all elite, you're all rich, you're all this. That's one of the tools against you. I don't, I don't care. Anyone who organizes is good as far as I'm concerned, and work is work. But it's one of the, the concepts of, of tech people shouldn't say things because they're so overprivileged anyway. Does anyone have a—please, anyone speak up on that. This is Claire. You know, one of the 10 things we know to be true, you know, Google credo manifesto thing was Google's not a conventional company. But right. I think that what we're talking about is it actually very much is. I mean, I think all these sort of systemic issues, mm -hmm. the deep down in the bones, you know, the discrimination and the inequity, um, Google's no different. The executive mismanagement, the abuse of power. I mean, all that stuff exists here just like anywhere else. We're reckoning with, you know, Google exceptionalism and, and putting it aside because we really want to drive change forward. In, mm -hmm. in an idealistic, you know, let's let's think about the world and, and what's the change we want to see. Certainly, there's many aspects of this walkout which speak to the uniqueness of Google. I mean, we're using all the Google tools. The way we came together was such, you know, type A overachiever, you right. know, madness, collaboration, which is you know, incredibly exciting and interesting. But I think that we, we're looking at the problems of this company and of the world around us, you know, the kind of sociopolitical hellscape that we're all in with, with total clarity and purpose. And we're not really giving up. I think that this sort of like the genie's out of the bottle right. for, for this. So, Erica, talk about this because you and I have talked about this concept a lot in that, you know, I've been hammering on the, the drum of tech responsibility for two years now. Like, what are they doing? What is the damage? They're not benign, these platforms. And obviously, Facebook's sort of the six-car pileup right now happening um, with another New York Times article, which also brought together stuff that had been there at the beginning and which people had talked about. And one of the things about the Google story is, again— I think we had broken two of the sexual harassment story or sexual problematic issues. The information did a bunch. This was all out there and from the beginning of Google. And one of the things said, the media should have reported. I'm like, we did. Nobody cared. Like we, we wrote about Sergey. We wrote about David Drummond. We, we wrote about Amit. I think I was the person who told Travis Kalanick that Amit was in problematic uh, investigation at Google, which I shouldn't be the one to have told Uber this. So how do you look at the idea that people in tech think of themselves as better? You know, people at Wall Street don't go around and say, we are exceptional people or we're better than other people. There's this idea in tech that there is a better world to live in. That, that, that's what they're selling, at least. Yeah. I mean, I think actually that's one of the unattractive aspects of being in tech. Um, I think there is an extraordinary amount of influence that's come along with the products and tools and services that have been built, but there's also been a lot of unintended consequences and disruption of traditional analog environments, you know, whether that's the news industry, which I'm focused on, um, or, you know, it's just a variety, right? Pro the spread of propaganda, which is something I think a lot about. So, I don't know. I come at this from like a level of like there should always be humility. Like with great, you know, with great power, right, comes a lot of Which responsibility. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's really important. I think that the amount of influence, the amount of money that's being made can sometimes make people feel uh, like other. Mm -hmm. I think what would, you know, I actually think that's probably an unproductive stance for a company that's building tools and technology for everyone. And so no one should be out of the reach of accountability. And that's why that I think Rubin's story really affected us all, but no amount of money or privilege should kind of pe put people outside of that. All right, Mary, start. What do you want now? What's going to happen now? So here you are, you've made this noise, and I want each of you to talk about this. What do you want to have now? And what? how can you pressure these executives? Because they can go back and hide uh, into the money and the power and everything else. And it's, you know, 
it's very easy to do nothing, and that's the easy stance is to sit back and wait for it to exhaust, like the Me Too thing, anything else. All these things can be easily exhausted after the anger is over. Mm-hmm. So well, talk, each of you, I wanted to think about what you think should happen next. I mean, I think our demand should be met. Mm-hmm. I think an employee representative on the board 100%. is key. You know, we need representation and we need to begin, you know, if we are such a novel and creative company, if we're going to stand behind the hype, then let's figure out a way to make these decisions more democratic, more deliberative. Let's look for mechanisms of public accountability um, and let's examine the claims that we've bought about ourselves, right? Why are we special? Let's like turn under, you know, look under the rocks and be like, are we, you know, are we able to actually cash these checks we wrote? Are we what we say we are? And I think that, you know, this is not a Google issue. You know, I'm at Google. That's why I'm doing it at Google, right? Mm-hmm. But this is an issue, I think, for the tech industry overall yeah. and for the way that businesses are run generally. If you're right? going to change the way business is yeah. done, if you claim to do that. Yeah. Right and now I, you're not special, just so you know. I never oh, no, thought you we're were. not special. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is there's big air quotes for the radio audience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but, you know, I think I think we need accountability systems. And I think we, you know, frankly, we need to begin connecting these cultures within these companies that mm-hmm. use racism, discrimination, abuse of power, sexism to exclude many from power and sort of accrue resources to a very few. We need to start connecting those to some of the broader social issues that these companies are responsible for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, actually, AI Now is publishing a report later this month that's going to look at those issues in connection to AI mm-hmm. and begin to sort of try to tie out some of the bigger social issues. Because it does have implications in future technology. Absolutely. And especially these new technologies are so much more disturbing. AI, robotics, automation, self-driving, all these things. The realities within these companies, the culture within the companies, the assumptions, the life experiences of the people in these companies are inscribed in these technologies and remapped onto the world. All right. Stephanie, where do you think it goes from here? Right. So, So it's like I said before, where is all this money coming from that they can Throw around. It's Mm -hmm. coming off the backs of the employees who are working overtime and Mm -hmm. competing against each other for the little bit of of money that's left so that a few people at the top can get even richer and have even more power over our lives. The company cannot run without us. Like you said, Kara, earlier, we're the base. Mm -hmm. It can't run without us. And what we just saw at the walkout is that we, the workers, have the ability to turn off that faucet if we get mad enough and if we (laughs) work together on it. And I think the reality is that is what we're going to have to keep doing if we want to see more change. Do you see uh, you all doing it? Do you see, Stephanie, do you see you all doing it? Because after a while, you know, you go back into your Well, no one's one's going to do it for us. And these problems aren't going to go away. But how do you you feel that there's any leadership initiative behind it, that they do get it? Uh, I mean, we hope Given so. their most recent response, we, <laughs> we, we know that they are continuing to discuss and talk about this, but it's going to be us who needs to push the conversation forward every mm-hmm. step of the way. Mm-hmm. All right, Amr? I would just echo what Stephanie said. Um, I think we've seen, that's why it's super important that this isn't just about tech workers, actually. This is, we didn't just walk out by ourselves. There were contractors that walked out with us, people of all different types that walked out. That's what makes this so powerful, and that's what we have to keep doing moving forward is make this a completely inclusive uh, movement. And it can't, like Meredith said also, it can't just be at Google. We know these problems are larger than that. And that's what we got our sights set on, and we're not going to back down, period. All right. Celie? Yeah, I mean, I go back to what I said earlier, where I, I check it against the stories, right? I think we need to not be afraid to say the real words. I want to hear our execs say the real words, like discrimination, which was erased from um, their response to the demands, like systemic racism. I want to hear those real words. And I think when we say an end to pay inequity, you know, again, to echo Erica's point, it's not just about salaries. It's also about bonuses and stock benefits. But it's also about under-leveling. Yeah, talk about that. Say what that, explain what that is. Explain what that is really briefly. Absolutely. I mean, so at Google, we are all in these levels, you know, the way they sort of make sense of um, hundreds of thousands of employees, um, or rather hundreds of thousands of contract workers and employees is is these leveling systems. Um, And, you know, when I speak with black women at Google, I hear story after story about under leveling. I mean, a black woman with a PhD who comes in at the same level as a brand new college grad white male, right? Or a 
fellow marketer and dear friend who has an MBA from an Ivy League and came in two levels before, but below any other MBA I know of at Google, right? Like these are real hey, I, c- I can jump in and offer offer an Stephanie. example. Um, hi, as I, as a black woman at Google, came in with a an undergraduate and master's degree from Stanford and three years of experience working in the tech industry, and they chose to put me into an entry-level six-month contract position in recruiting. Mm. Right. So it's putting you in the wrong place in the first place and then not supporting you as you move up the promotion scale. Because to me, exactly. is bringing what I've heard from so many people, especially people of color, is they bring people in to get these numbers up and then there's no support to move people up. And they say, look, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. When they don't, when they give so, so much support in other ways that isn't, you know. So look, I guess it, it must be a pipeline problem. We need to go to more schools <laughs> right. and teach them yeah, how the to pipeline There's problem. something wrong. There's something wrong with these students and something wrong with the pipeline. But no, black women have the highest attrition rate. They're leaving Google at higher rates than any other group all over the industry. Right, it's because of the the way it's—you can't win. Like, that's what I I always—you know, I I think about it. I'm like, I was having an argument with another CEO, and I said—they're like, oh, we brought them into work. I said, did you give them support? Did you give them mentorship? Did they—like, that you give everybody else? Are they comfortable in the social environments there? Like, are there—are the parties that are being done? that create these opportunities there for them, like the social parts. You know, there's all these elements that don't, or else just change it and don't make it run like that. You know, you, you can either do one or the other and change the thing, which I think is interesting. All right, Celia, you've, so, so, so what are the demands, Celia, and then we're going to get to Erica and then finish up with Claire. Uh, what of the demands do you think are most important of those, the ones that they didn't answer? Yeah, I mean, for me, number two, we've got to talk about number two, um, ending that the is. inequity and, and right. what that means. Mm-hmm. That yeah. To me, that's it. Money is everything. That's mm-hmm. how they listen. I don't know. It just seems to me. Um, beyond even and title, same thing. You're talking about pay and title. Yeah, level. Yeah, level. And how? What? What, do you, what was the response? They were just saying we're looking into it, right? Yeah, nothing. We're looking into it. it we're actually, studying. It was unacknowledged. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I think that's why I said the thing about saying the words, right? I, I want to hear these execs. You know, another story. I, I was in a, in a meeting with an exec um, last week, and a, a victim was asked to sort of retell her story to this exec, right? Mm-hmm. And we come out of the meeting, and I was like, "Oh, these are all the actions I want to see. I want to see action A, B, and C, and demand C, D, and Y." And and the victim said, "You know, it's so funny, Celie." I just wanted her to say, I believe you. Mm-hmm. I believe you. Right. And lean toward believing women. Lean toward, you know, believing people of color at this company when they say that they are experiencing inequity. Let's lean toward believing those stories instead of believing this problem is going to fix itself through right. care and wanting it to. <laughs> One of the other issues in that is it quickly moves to after they say they're sorry. Like I was just just this week with the Facebook thing. They said they're sorry. And then the next minute they couldn't tolerate a bit of criticism. It's you're after us. I'm like, yeah, I am after you. That's right. Like, don't like. It's a really inter- the inability mm-hmm. to like take an "I'm sorry" beyond an "I'm sorry" and like really do something about it and not immediately feel victimized. Which is, to me, the people who hold all the power feeling victimized is an exhausting. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, it's sort of like the person with a gun aimed at your head is like, look, I'm in real trouble right my now. Hand like, my hand hurts. My hand. So, Erica, what about you? What have the? What have the <laughs> Now, stop having a good time. This is a serious subject. Erica, what about you? And then we'll finish up with Claire. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, plus one to Celia, the second demand on uh, pay and equity is so important. And um, yeah, I just want the company to raise the bar um, mm-hmm. and yeah, to come back and surprise us, like show us that you're really listening, that you're going to be creative and that you want to um, address these systematically. All right. Let me just ask you, Claire. This you've been around how long? You've been at Google? Eleven and a half years. Okay. So, you know, since know. I've been there longer than you, since I've been in the... In the um, in the drain pipes of Google for yep. longer than you. It, this, to me, comes from the very beginning of this company. This is a DNA of behavior, you know, in terms of a lot of the top executives. And initially, it's a startup behavior that's not different than others, but it's also as they become wealthier and as they become more insulated, they are surrounded with people licking them up and down all day and how smart they are. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, then they've changed in that way since I knew them when they sure. were in the garage, for sure. example. sure. How do you change that? Is it new leadership of the company or you just slap them silly until they get well, the point? And there are executives, let me just say, yeah. who are concerned. 
but don't know quite what to do. And sure. I, it's unusual to hear very powerful people saying, I don't know what to do. But what do you imagine is the is going to happen next? And what are you all going to do next as a group? We actually have an, an easy job, which I think is to continue driving this conversation forward and continuing to put pressure on them. And the reason why this is easy is because we didn't manufacture the outrage that got us to the walkout, to the 20,000 people walking out around mm-hmm. the world. We harnessed it. Sure, we, you know, we sent out some organizing details, but really this stuff is on the front burner for so many people at the company, which I think is incredibly powerful. And I mean, after being here 11 years, I completely agree with you that this is DNA stuff. However, the lights are on right now. Which mm-hmm. This is a huge moment for the culture. And, you know, if I were an executive, if, I, if, if only, um, I think that what they have to do is embrace the tough critique that they've gotten um, and try to understand where we're coming from and make these changes and make them in collaboration with us, which has not happened. Or they can follow the path which they have been on up until now, um, take it personally, defend what they've done before, defend the executives that don't think that they should be blamed. And what is so amazing and so powerful is that's not working. That's mm-hmm. It's going to be whack-a-mole until some real reckoning happens on that level. And we keep saying that, you know, is, this is a marketing opportunity for some exec out there. Stand up. You know, mm-hmm. be the voice, be the change. I mean, th- there are people who have the power to meet the demands, um, to make this right, and to push the culture forward in a, in a way that will change history. Is there someone in mind? Do you have people in mind? I'm, I'd like to be surprised. <laughs> Larry and Sergey, where's Larry? <laughs> no, sorry, I'm going to give you that piece of information. <laughs> One of them's in a hovercraft, and the other, I don't know what he's up to. He's wandering around on a 10-wheeled bicycle. Like, you know, I, I, I think it's hard to stay in touch. I think right. it's, it's real, when you're really on that level and you've had the you know insane life story that they've had, you know, they want to change the world. I think that they have to reckon with what's going on at Google. It is so profound. It, it's really, you know, if they're, I think that there's a lot of exec, execs out there who are, you know, crossing their fingers and hoping this blows over. I'm telling you, it's not blowing over. I mean, right. this is, this is, going to keep rolling. They're rolling thunder. <laughs> it would be really interesting as the founders, that though they were the ones that tolerated and created it, both mm-hmm. created and tolerated it, or, or tolerated at the very least. And that's what I wonder what happened. they're also happened. new agey. Where's their, like, Reiki master writing <laughs> them here? <laughs> oh, we'll see about that. So are you, are you all hopeful, each of you, uh, of what's going to happen next, that you're going to keep at it? This is Claire again. I unbelievably um, fired up and inspired by the people that I met through this process. Yeah. It was like a sort of like Justice League. I mean, I mean this right. is not even just the people in the room. This is the field organizers, the people who shared their stories, the contractors who took part in this at tremendous personal risk, as we can, we can mm-hmm. all agree. I mean, this company is full of amazing people. And I, 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 again, like the genie's out of the bottle. We are all sort of together in this in a way, which is incredibly powerful and exciting. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yes. I am this so optimistic. And I, this is Meredith. Thank you. Um, and I feel like one of the experiences I had is what does it mean to like find the power of our collective selves, right? If we use these tools, as I think Erica and Stephanie were saying, if we use the skills we have toward building a culture and a future we want, what happens, right? What happens if we're not waiting on the executives to like wake up, but if we just start taking it? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I really feel the possibility of you know, building this new source of power, you know, figuring out what it means to, you know, use these skills collectively toward a vision that we think is, you know, healthier and better and safer for everyone. And hopefully they wake up because I do think it is a marketing opportunity for them. They could be heroes and, you know, they'd still have a yacht and two houses. They could be fine. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But... It's two yachts and three houses, just uh, so you know. I'm so... I'm like (laughs) always in the last century. (laughs) (laughs) Erica, we're going to go through everyone really quickly. Erica, quick. Yeah, well, I'm I'm optimistic, but I have to say, like, I was having a bit of a, like, a few hard months at Google, and I was like, ah, oh, it was tough to, like, work on different projects, and then I met all of you, and, like, it's just re-engaged, like, Google has incredible people at the company, and so... Yes, they have assembled an amazing... Yeah, thing. yeah, absolutely, and, but we found each other in a really unexpected way, and so it's been um, so inspiring, and, um, I don't know, something I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. Stephanie? Yeah, I want to say that you know, I've worked on a few different teams at Google, all on you know meaningful, purpose-driven projects. I've worked on the news team. I've worked on a policy most recently, but I've never felt as much purpose and meaning as when I've come together with these people here and try and uh, working to bring you know to challenge Google to be a better place for. Um, it has never felt so right to be here and doing this. I hope we keep going. Amr. I want to say thank you to all of the people, all of my coworkers at Google that stood up and made this happen all over the world. Thousands and thousands of people came together to make this happen. I want to say thank you to them. And I want to say what's amazing is that every day we walk in and work on the company's vision, 
for the world. And that week we came together and worked on our vision for the world all together on something that really mattered. And so that is in, just incredibly inspiring. And I think we've got, we're just getting started. And I think that we've got a, a long way to go, but I'm hopeful about it. All right, Celie, finish it up. Yeah, I, I just echo what everyone has said. I've been so inspired by this group of brilliant humans, you know, in this room and so far beyond. I mean, again, the local organizers, everything from blue ribbons in Mountain View to vests in, you know, Germany. And it, it's just been amazing to see what everyone has done. Um, you know, we've called this the walkout for real change for a reason. Uh, even if all of our optimism comes true and the best outcome and our demands are met, real change happens over time, and, and we're going to hold people accountable to that real change actually going down um, and hold us accountable uh, for demanding it also because we, we've got to get the rest of the demands met. All right. Well, thank you all so much. I promise also to drive them crazy. I think I'm good at it, and I have all their cell phone numbers, so I can text them. Um, I've written so many you suck self, uh, texts to these people that you would be surprised. You really suck. Send them this They're like, Kara, and I'm like, you suck so bad. Like, that's, that's, what, that's what I'll contribute to this. Um, so it's, it, it, it's, Drag it's, it's surprisingly effective. You'd be surprised. Anyway, thank you so much. Erica Anderson, Claire Stapleton, Meredith Whitaker, Stephanie Parker, Celie O'Neill Hart, and Amr Gaber. Thank you so much for doing this. And I can't even tell you, get over to Facebook and help those people over there immediately because they don't seem quite as angry. Um, but you need to show them that this, is, this kind of stuff matters and that uh, they, have an imp- they can have an impact on making things better. We really appreciate it, and thank you for doing this. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank all you. right. Now, thanks for coming on the show. It was great talking to you. Thanks for all of you for listening and listen again. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. And please tell a friend about the show. You can follow me at Twitter at Kara Swisher. Eric, is there one place you'd recommend people go online to stay informed about this issue? Uh, Our Twitter handle. Which is? Google Walkout. At Google Walkout. Okay. And now that you're done with this, go back and check out our other podcast, Recode Media and Pivot. You can find those shows wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this fantastic episode of Recode Decode. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Saturday. Tune in then. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply.